Hello, beautiful people. As always, my name is Rama Hetepa Min. And again, welcome to the Rama Hetepa Min podcast show. Today, we're going to talk about this concept that I brought up on Instagram of, you know, the universe was not created. It was simply a manifestation of the four realizations of Nebercher. Now, this is a major foundational piece to understand, but a foundational piece of the Maasai philosophy. So it's very important for you to somewhat kind of get, get an understanding of what we're going to talk about today. You know, this concept is such an important piece that if I was to say, for instance, if you were put on a deserted island and I gave you the concept that we're going to talk about today and came back in five or 10 years, you would build a philosophical pyramid of philosophical premise from this one idea. We would all arrive at the same philosophical uh, philosophical foundation of, of peace, if you will, just by simply understanding this one thing that I'm going to talk to you today about. You know, many times in the past, you know, I've, you've heard me talk about this concept of the age of Aquarius and how, you know, we're, we're being asked to understand, we're being asked to grasp and apply in the age of Aquarius. Whereas in the age of Pisces, you wasn't asked to understand and apply. You were just simply asked to worship a reality outside of yourself. So it's very important that we get a full understanding of this simply just one philosophical premise. Um, and from that understanding, we can all build our own philosophical pyramids, if you will, and further bring this world into more peace and harmony. Okay, so it's important for us to discuss the reality of Genesis, you know, and so I guess in the Bible it's called Genesis, but you know, the ancient Egyptians, our ancestors, all right, the ancient Africans, they had their own expression of the Genesis story. As a matter of fact, it's in the Book of Knowing, you know, the evolutions of Ra and the overthrowing of Opep. And that statement alone has a lot to say. We won't delve into that today. Maybe we'll use another podcast to kind of just simply break down that statement. But I like to refer to this book as, as the Book of Knowing. And so in the Book of Knowing, it talks about the Genesis process, and it does a great deal of discussing the realization or the reality of existence prior to the manifestation of the universe. And so again, in order for you to understand what shall become, you must understand what was there before. And so the ancestors did a very good job of kind of giving us an understanding of the nature of existence prior to the manifestation of things. And then of course it gives us a greater understanding of how to apply ourselves in the manifested thing we call the universe, the one verse. But anyway, the ancient Egyptians really spent a lot of time of really breaking things down into basically two realities prior to the manifestation of the universe. And this is important for you to get an understanding of when I say that the universe wasn't created, it was simply a manifestation of the realizations of Nebuchadnezzar. But there are basically two realities prior to the notion of manifestation. The one reality, you know, many people have tried to find words for this reality, but really the only word that really gives it kind of a sense is the concept of consciousness. All right, so we know, based on what we're told, based on what we were um, trained upon, 
in the ancient Egyptian system that consciousness existed first as a singular entity, but then we had the concept of matter. So <clears throat> we have consciousness, which is awareness, and we have matter, which is simply something from which consciousness has to interact with. Now I'm gonna to try to make this as simple as possible. They describe the concept of matter as being unformed. Now this is prior to the manifestation, being unformed, undifferentiated. And in this state, it has to be completely in a state of 100% potential. And it also has to be 100% receptive to the conscious intent of this conscious, conscious entity that existed prior to the manifestation of things. Now, this singular consciousness prior to the universe, prior to the manifestation of things, we call Nebir Chair. So this entity that existed as consciousness prior to the manifestation of things, we call Nebir Chair, and it's loosely, it loosely translates into the source. So you have Nebir Chair as simple, consciousness. We would not assign a masculine energy to this entity. We would not assign a feminine energy to this situation. We wouldn't say this entity is a man or a woman. We wouldn't say this entity is a black man or black woman or white man or white woman. We wouldn't do that because the notion of woman, the, you know, women, when you say woman, when you say man, when you say black man, when you say black, when you say white, white man, that's intent. That's purpose. This particular entity existed prior to the notion of those things. So we have to really grasp that. The concept of intent doesn't exist because the only reason why man exists is for the intentions of woman. The only reason why woman exists is for the intentions of man and so on and so on. So this is before the concept of intent is something that we want you to understand. Now, so we have Nebuchadnezzar as pure consciousness. All right. And then we have matter in this undifferentiated state, unformed. And we can define this state as simply being absent of conscious intent. Since it's absent of conscious intent, it has to be completely unformed and unmodified. In this state, it represents 100% potential. And in this state, it represents complete receptivity to what is willed or what becomes the intentions of the one. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. You have two realities, right? Matter and consciousness. Matter is unformed, so matter has to be 100% potential and 100% receptive. So whatever notion that comes about from the conscious entity from Nebuchadnezzar has to become the conscious intent that moves, as the ancient Egyptians say, the waters of Nu to bring the universe into manifestation. So we don't use the word Nebuchadnezzar once the universe came in, comes into manifestation. We don't use the word Nebuchadnezzar to define things within this quote-unquote construct, if you will. Because this reality of Nebuchadnezzar can only manifest prior to the notion, prior to the manifestation of the universe. So when you read the ancient Egyptian scripture, dogma, whatever you want to call it, you see very little reference to the concept of Nebuchadnezzar, it's, rare, it's rarely used outside, outside of 
um, being within that Genesis aspect, the Genesis story. And that's a fundamental principle. That's a fundamental principle we're going to talk about a little bit later. But anyway, we have two realities, right? We have this consciousness, and what is consciousness? Is just simply awareness, pure awareness, one hundred percent awareness. It is aware that it exists. It is aware that it exists. It's aware that it is exists, but it doesn't. It cannot experience the notion of its existence, even though it is aware it exists. In other words, it knows it exists, but the nature of its existence, the nature of its existence. It doesn't have the experience of. So that creates what we call a conundrum. When you become aware that you exist, right, you're conscious of being conscious, that awareness has to manifest into something. And therefore, through that something, you experience awareness and come to the realization of it. But prior to the notion of Nebuchadnezzar, prior to the manifestation of the universe, it simply exists as awareness. <clears throat> And it exists as this awareness in this 100% potential of what we call new, a matter in its unformed, unmodified state, absent of intent. Now, somewhere in this awareness, the ancestors said that Nebuchadnezzar came to the realization of its four awarenesses, right? And one of those awarenesses is what we call omni-ableness. So it came to the realization of its omni-ableness, right? But in, the, in this pretense or in this experience prior to the notion of things, it simply exists in potential. So it, it becomes aware of that it has the ability to be omni-able, but that omni-ableness exists in potential. So that awareness of the potential of omni-ableness is one of the four realities that automatically becomes the conscious intent that moves the waters anew and brings the universe into manifestation. <laughs> so once it becomes aware that it's aware, and then it realizes that there are four expressions of this awareness, that realization of the fact that those, that awareness is in potential, that experience is in potential, that automatically creates the void necessary, that creates the intent necessary, that moves this unlimited potential and brings the universe into manifestation. Now, that brings into two fundamental realities. You know, when the ancient Egyptians say that kepara, it means unlimited ability to manifest, kepara can only exist prior to the manifestation of the universe. Because in that state, it has unlimited ability to manifest. Because matter is completely receptive and completely um, in potential, it has unlimited ability to manifest at that point. But once the conscious intent moves the waters of new, and now you have the universe, now we don't have unlimited ability to manifest because now we have intent, we have purpose, we have time, right? You have cycles. Now you have purpose, and within those purpose, that within those purposes, if you will, you have the limitations of life to fulfill those purposes. So now we call that keparu, unlimited, right? So the keparu is unlimited ability to manifest, and keparu is the finite ability to manifest according to the one reality. Now that we have one intent manifesting through all things, now all things must serve to further the fulfillment of that one thing. So now we have keparu. We have defined manifestation in support of fulfilling the one 
objective of the one reality we call Nebuchadnezzar. Now we have conscious intent functioning through matter, right? Bringing it to manifestation in the universe. That's why the word universe, one verse, all things within the universe serve to further one verse. So that that's why we say in the Maasa that all things, right, situations and beings, both in the past, present, and future, must serve to further the one objective of Ma'a. And we call that concept Ma'a. They can only serve one objective, all right? All things in your life, no matter what you experience, no matter how you experience, no matter what it is, no matter, no matter what your understanding of it is, any and all things that you experience must serve to further the one objective we call Ma'a. And thus, that's how the concept of the universe, the word universe came about, the universe, one verse. So now we have this conscious intent that brought the universe into manifestation. And from that manifestation, right, we have all things functioning in collaboration to fulfill the one intent. We call that Ma'a. So that's the concept that, that from the, what the ancient Egyptians thought about the world that they existed in. They thought that their, the world was brought into a universal order and it was their duty to bring their thinking and how they behaved and acted in alignment to that universal unity, that universal harmony, that one intent we call Ma'a. And from that concept, they were able to achieve their level of personal success, but also societal success. And that's why when you study the ancient Egyptian system, you'll find that they were consumed with bringing themselves in alignment with this universal order. You know, the concept of Ma'a is the one intent, the organization of things to fulfill the one intent we call Ma'at with a T. And that, of course, is where, you know, a lot of people get the concept of laws and things of that nature. Yeah, because you got laws now and principles and things of the nature that are working to fulfill the one intent through the lives of all beings. Now, from this perspective, once the universe is in manifestation, we don't use the word Nebuchadnezzar chair anymore. So we wouldn't use this. We wouldn't say things like Nebuchadnezzar chair brought me a blessing or never chair saved me or, you know, um, all good things go through never chair and so on and so on. So we don't we don't use that reality simply because it is the concept of never chair is what we consider the source. So now you have the manifestation of all things from the, within the universe coming from one source. So therefore, Nebuchadnezzar chair has to be not only the source of all things, but Nebuchadnezzar chair has to be an integral manifestation functioning within all things, functioning at the core of all things. So therefore, the concept of Nebuchadnezzar chair as a separate entity outside of the universe, according to the concept of Ma'a and according to our ancestors, is an impossibility. So therefore, we don't use the word neighbor chair. We only use the word neighbor chair to define the conscious reality that existed prior to the manifestation of the universe. But once the universe comes into manifestation, now neighbor chair becomes an integral part of all things. It becomes a, it becomes, it's at the core of the molecules, it's at the core of the slime mold, it's at the core of the bacteria, it's at the core of the animals, it's at the core of the planets, it's at the core of all things. But what we say is it's functioning at the core of all things, but functioning through the limitations of the mind itself. So the capital S-E-L-F 
is how we define Nebecher in the post-universe era. And since we know that self is at the core of any and all things, then we say that self finds its highest expression through the vehicles of man and woman. So now we say that all things are a manifestation of the one reality. All things are serving to further to provide the experience of the one reality. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we, the ancient Egyptians said that there's only one experiencer manifesting through the experience of all things. <laughs> there's only one experiencer manifesting through the manifestation of all things. And we call that entity self. And what is self? Self is Nebuchadnezzar functioning through the limitations of the mind. The only difference between you and Nebuchadnezzar that brought the universe into manifestation is simply that you are limited by the mind in your fulfillment of things and so on and so on, in your experience of things. So therefore, we don't use the quote-unquote concept of Nebuchadnezzar as an external reference, controlling and managing things from the outside, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is an integral part of all things. It is an expression itself through the white man. It's expressing itself through the female. It's expressing itself through the black man. It's expressing itself through all those things. And it's seeking to fulfill those four realities through the, through the, through the experience of man and woman. Now, let's think about this for a second. Just imagine how different the world would be if we understood that Nebuchadnezzar, the source, is functioning through all things. It's functioning even through all beings, even including the person that did you wrong. It's functioning through that person for the experience of benevolence. It's functioning through all things, seeking to experience the four realities through the conjunction of your life and its situations. But just think about how different the world would be if you knew that the person that you're dealing with is actually the source manifesting through the limitations of the mind. Just think about that for a second. That's why the ancient Egypt found greater success in their society. That's why women had, uh, you know, more rights in that society. You know, there are, there are women in ancient Egypt that, that served as kings. And as a matter of fact, we know of Hepshepsut, Hepshepsut, excuse me, who served as a female king, even put on a fake beard and marched in battle with her troops. But women were able to achieve higher in those societies. Women were able to you know, be in, in adjacency to, masculine, to the masculine principle simply because the philosophical premise allows for that to manifest. Because the source manifesting through all things now brings us all into a state of equality. We know a man is different from a woman. That's absolutely no question. But the expression coming through the masculine serves a purpose that's necessary for universal harmony. And the expression manifested through the female also is necessary for universal harmony. And that knowledge of that keeps us working towards a balance to maintain a balance between those two that is absolutely necessary for the success of the society. One of the fundamental problems in the God concept is that, you know, when this entity exists outside of you, 
there becomes a need to humanize this concept. So therefore, we get into this anthropomorphizing of this concept, all right? And so now this concept has to be a masculine, so therefore it has to be a man, and that creates sexism, all right? And then, you know, this entity has to be a black or white man, so that creates racism. And then, of course, this entity, since it's white or black or a woman or female or male or whatever, then it creates this concept of supremacism. And all these schisms, if you will, or isms or whatever, create a lot of problems in the society. You know, if you are functioning from a standpoint that you are supreme simply because of your skin color, that concept cannot find success in a world by which the source is manifesting through all things. So you will see limited experience. And any of those, quote unquote, racist regimes or societies or organizations, our, our success is short lived because that concept cannot function in, and bring about harmony and success in an organization that is built to fulfill the one intent through the experience of all things. It's, it's a fundamental incorrectness that can never find success. So this creates a kind of a deviancy, as you will, from the universal harmony. You know, what's interesting <clears throat> is that we sit around and I hear people discuss about, oh, how great these European you know, worlds that we exist in, how great America is a great Europe. And I go, if you think that this is a great society, if you think that Europe is a great society, then you haven't really done a lot of studying. Now, be it as it may. Yes, I exist in America right now. And I, hey, I, you know, I learned my success here, I think is from these types of organizations, if you will, at this particular time, I think it is the best organization organized this way for this particular epoch. However, what I'm talking about is a fundamental misunderstanding of the concept of Maasa and the concept of a common intent, the concept of universe, since we're all expressions of the one entity. You see, we wouldn't call something technology if it provided you with 30% benefit but 70% detriment. We don't call that, we wouldn't call that technology because that is, in, that is not in alignment to ma'a. So therefore we wouldn't call that technology. We wouldn't call a car technology if it destroys the ozone. You see, we wouldn't build a car because we already understand that that concept, what it produces is gonna be harmful to the world. So we don't have to spend 300 years or 100 years or whatever the case may be to go through a process of trial and tribulation and realize, oh shoot, we shouldn't have created these things. <laughs> we, don't call that, we don't call that technology. You know, a lot of the power of the ancient civilizations and they still have done things that even humans, you know, uh, people couldn't do of today is to borrow the energy of the earth. You can use the energy of the earth to your benefit that you can still reach your success and at the same time not destroy the earth for, so that for, you know, for the uh, rights of other beings and animals and things of that nature. But that's fundamentally what the concept of source does. I cannot separate source from a man or woman or things. I cannot take source out of things and, and, and experience it as a separate entity. That's impossible. There's no difference between you and Nebuchadnezzar. There's no difference between you and Source. So I know a lot of religious organizations say, hey, you know, 
The ancient Egyptians were arrogant. They believed that they were gods. And, you know, no, it's impossible for you to be a god. The concept of God, the God that is created by the Occidental religions, it's impossible for you to be that entity. Because that's an all-powerful entity that put the earth and planets in order and so on and so on. That's impossible for you to be that person, that entity. And I don't care how many times people try to flip it to say, oh, God is within. No, it's impossible for G-O-D to be within because that term wasn't built for that. But the concept of Nebuchadnezzar, source, implies that we're all expressions of the one reality. All things are an expression of the one reality. And the more aligned and in harmony we become, the greater our success and experience of benefit and so on and so on within this system. So that's that. The universe was not created. It was simply a manifestation of the four realizations or the four awarenesses of Nebuchadnezzar. Feel free to comment if you agree. Feel free to comment if you disagree. Let's create a dialogue. Let's continue to build upon what was said today. If you want to get updated on future videos and things that we're doing, feel free to subscribe to this channel, subscribe to the podcast, and also subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all those things. Let's continue to build upon the age of Aquarius. Let's continue to build that philosophical pyramid so that we all can express ourselves as individuals, but also bring ourselves into alignment and harmony to manifest success as a nation. Peace and blessings. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you.